Hi folks, Alistair here. Welcome to this week's episode of Coming Up Next, the show where I speak with the world's top creatives about creating a life of their own design. This is part one of my interview with Killing Heidi, but before we get to that, if you're loving this free podcast, I'd love you to do me a personal favor and go to www.comingupnext.com.au. While you're at said website, you'll find links to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And that's exactly what I think you should do. Today's episode brought to you by BossPods.com. Want a podcast like a boss? We've got the inside word on how to set up a podcast that's actually worth something. We've got the industry's best to show you how. BossPods.com. Podcast like a boss. I'm very interested to know what it was like when you actually made the decision to get the band back together well it was one of those things that i kind of had thought for years that i would like to entertain you know doing it and and the idea of it and then i didn't really think it would necessarily happen but when we said yes and there was a long deliberative that's the right word process around debating whether we should do it or not you know me and ella and and our manager you know but once we actually made that decision to do it and we locked in that first gig, you know, it took a while to get to that point, touring and froing and pros and cons and stuff. It was just really exciting for me because it was like, okay, we're actually doing this, you know, which was something that had always been maybe no, maybe no. And I really didn't think it would be a definitive yes. And then all of a sudden we had this great offer to play at Queenscliff. And I'd been there the year before with family and had such a great time. And I'd seen Lior do his 20-year um, anniversary set of, was it Autumn Flow or Autumn Fall, whatever the album was called. And I thought, you know what, we could do our own version of that. We could do our own little thing just, and maybe it wouldn't lead to anything else. So I was really just excited once we actually said, we're actually doing this and we had, we had committed to it. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine that there would be a great sense of nostalgia, but also excitement and... I suppose with the heights that you guys achieved with, you know, the first run at Killing Heidi, the the anticipation of what what was what was to come, but probably without the same pressure that you might have had, say, in two thousand and six when you were kind of towards the end of that first incarnation. Yeah, look, I think it was um, it was it, it had a different energy about it, and um. Not having done it for a long time, I didn't know. Maybe like now that we're actually doing it, it feels like we've got some more stuff to compare it to. But at that time, it was like, wow, here we go. We're going to do this. We haven't done it for a long time. There is that sort of anticipation of how we're going to feel about it and what's the reaction going to be. Because I think for us, you know, the band was a huge part of our young uh, identity, you know, as teenagers. So for us, there's this whole introspective part of it about going back to what you used to do and who you were. But then there was the other part, which is more of the sharing part of it, which is like, oh, this is going to be great fun. I get to play with other people I haven't played to with before for ages. Yeah, I haven't played with, with, with these guys for ages. Then there's, you know, we actually get to do it on a big stage. I haven't done that for a while either, you know. So there's all these other things that were a bit more like, wow, that's going to be exciting. Yeah. So exciting on a few levels. And, you know, a little bit of nervousness around, you know, what what is the reaction going to be? Whereas I think thinking back to when we were just touring, you know, a lot and making albums, I think you get into a mode of being creative and, you know, uh, releasing something and engaging response and then you kind of get used to that thing of you know reciprocal kind of stuff but I hadn't really toured for a long time so I was kind of looking forward to that as well yeah
Jesse Hooper is one of the founding members of iconic Aussie rock band Killing Heidi, and that was one of the biggest hits off the Reflector album, Mascara. Killing Heidi are primed and ready for their 20-year reunion tour, which is taking place all over Australia. Kicks off on June the 2nd at the Store Theatre in WA, with shows on the 3rd of June at the Gov in South Australia, uh, the Metro Theatre in Sydney on the 8th of June. There's a sold-out show in Melbourne on the 9th of June at 170 Russell, and rounding out on the 10th of June at the Tivoli in Brisbane. If you want to get tickets or more info on the shows, you can head to ticketmaster.com.au to find out. And later on in the show, you're going to hear their songs I Am and Kettle. And if you tune in next week, you'll hear part two, where I speak with the second Hooper to grace the coming up next airwaves, the voice of Killing Heidi. I'm speaking, of course, of the one and only Ella Hooper. But for now, it's over to part one. It's the interview with Jesse Hooper for episode number 94 of Coming Up Next, the podcast. So we're at, uh, we're at Collarts having this ramble. And I mean, it's an amazing facility here. Um, and you've been teaching here for a few years now. So you're seeing, you know, young minds being shaped and kind of forming their own sound and their own kind of musicality. Do you remember, for you, when you were growing up, do you remember the first time that you played uh, anything or performed or, or that first kind of experience of having or being musical? Um, look, I think some of my earliest memories of really connecting to playing music, like I had violin lessons and I remember that there was something about you know learning and then being able to play it and hearing yourself get something wrong and right that that I can remember you know and playing something that feels good to play and it sounds good to play there's that um, for me I think more when I think about when I switched to playing guitar then I was playing songs that you know it was a bit easy to get an easy sound out of violin you know it can sound really awful if your technique's good sorry not not good uh, whereas guitar is a bit more forgiving you can kind of hit it and it's, you know, it sounds cool you know although I thought it did um, so I think playing guitar at a young age where you could play a three or four chord song and you could hear something and then someone could show you a song and it was very shareable like I think that's what I probably responded to as well was that you know most people could play a few bit of guitar you know or you know not most people but a common instrument compared to violin so there was this kind of sharing nature about Oh, cool! You can play that. I can. You can show me how to play it. I said, I think. That, I think that's part of being drawn to guitar, was that it was a very um, common kind of thing. With my peers and and friends, and family friends that you could kind of show each other bits and pieces. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Collates is a great place. That's where we are now. So I've worked here for four years. Started off just doing sessional lecturing in songwriting and the ensemble program, which is basically just band coaching, and um, and you know teaching people how to perform. And then my role grew to just taking on a few more classes, taking on a bit more responsibility. And yes, yeah, so now I'm the head of the music degree here, which is really exciting. Wow, so that's awesome. Yeah, it's great fun. And I, like, I really love that um, it gives me an opportunity to try and contextualise and shape a whole bunch of weird you know, music industry experience, but songwriting experience into something succinct to pass on to young people. Mm. Is that something that, you know, when you when you were forming Killing Heidi in the first place, did you, was that kind of, I suppose that the idea of community, was that something that was quite strong for you guys? Yeah, I think so. And I think that makes me think of the dynamic between me and Ella and the first people we played with. Like I love that camaraderie, I guess, in, the, in that sense of community, you know, in the band, classic band bonds, you know, where you, you feel like you're in a gang. You know, I love that too. I think a lot of young people are drawn to bands because it is like a little clicky kind of cool group where you can have, your own little family if you like and we had family me and being brother and sister but you have a little gang and you know you write songs together then you perform together it's like it's this kind of cool little crew you know so mm. I, I love that community aspect of it and yeah I think um seeing young people here put into bands every trimester you know we simulate that you know in class I think that's kind of really fun to do you know <laughs> of course here that you know I put young people in combinations that you know you don't really know a lot much about them whereas when you form your own band you tend to form it with people who you really like yeah. and it's built on friendship most of the time you know especially when you're young you tend to start bands with your best friends you know and that's why it's perhaps such a great thing to do with your mates because it's you know you've already got shared 
interests or shared passions and goals. Mm. Uh, in, in an academic context, it's interesting, I think, that, you know, they've all got very different goals, but here they are, they're put into a band, they all have to work collaboratively. Like, I think that's a great challenge for them to have to go through. <laughs> yeah, I've always been very jealous of uh, people who are in bands, particularly rock bands. There's always something that I kind of fantasised about. I don't, I don't know, I, I tried, well, I didn't try. I played guitar for a few years, but I was never committed I think it was the lifestyle that I uh, or the the idea of the lifestyle was probably something that I fantasized about I think most people do I think a lot of young people you know there's a weird thing I think there's the people who just want to you know play and then there's the you know the other things that go with it this perceived um you know status that you get and then there's you know as a young guy playing a band it was like yeah you know that could you know get you meet girls and you know get to drink and smoke weed and all that kind of stuff there's all things that you wanted to do as a young teenager that a band fit perfectly in with all those guys <laughs> enabled them all much better yeah. um yeah so yeah obviously we don't go into that in class here <laughs> you don't have like home ec style classes where you learn how to, the lifestyle of a, we, well we've, funnily enough we've spoken about doing some health related um you know additional kind of curriculum stuff around healthy lifestyles because you know a lot of our teachers are practicing artists and musicians and stuff and you know you see the lifestyle of rock and roll is not really good for performing to be honest like Mm. you know late nights whether it's just drinking or smoking or whatever doing drugs or not being healthy really can inhibit your perform your physical ability to perform so funnily enough we're probably doing the opposite we'll probably have have a class on how to be healthy and wholesome you know and how that will make you sing better i mean doesn't sound very rock and roll, but yeah, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. A more holistic approach yeah. to uh, to rock and roll. So, was there a kind of moment between you and Ella where you did decide that you were going to create a band, that you were going to create Killing Heidi, or was it just something that kind of happened by virtue of the fact that you were siblings playing together in you know in your home? Yeah, I think it kind of just evolved. Like, I mean, I had mates that I would jam with that would come and stay with us we lived in remote Strathbogie ranges outside of Violet Town and you know if friends came over when you were 15 or 16 they had to stay the, the night and it was a massive drive for one of the parents to go pick them up or drop them off so it was a bit of an overnight experience you know and so we'd have we luckily we had a drum kit my mate did so he'd bring it over and he'd leave it at our house for weeks on end or vice versa I'd drag my amp over there and we'd play so I'm pretty sure I just Alan basically was just hanging out and just kind of joined in you know, and I didn't think it was very cool to have my <laughs> sister in the band, but there was no denying she had a, a great voice, and it would, um, you know, with the limited exposure that we'd play in front of, you know, family or people who you know would see us playing, that she would always get a response. Oh, you know, she can really sing, and I think even at a young age, you can you hear people sing in school bands. And you're like, oh yeah, you know, they can sing, and then you hear someone who's just got something a bit extra special, and you're like, wow okay you know there's something there even if you don't really know how to articulate it mm. so so i think it kind of just happened pretty naturally i think that the, the interesting moment where we thought wow this could be a f- sort of something else was when we won the unearth competition and we sent off these two songs and you know winning that i was really like whoa this is like a fantasy now like you know our song's going to be played on triple j and triple j had just come to regional victoria and it really was our only lifeline into this sort of big youth subculture. You know, we don't really get to go to festivals and my cousins would go to a big day out in Melbourne. I thought that was super cool just even going to that, you know. Yeah. So we were quite, we felt really removed from a lot of that stuff. And so then it really did kick into this kind of, wow, this is crazy fancy land. Like we're going to be on the radio and they're going to re-record the song. And But then all of a sudden I think that did go, wow, okay, we're going to take this seriously. And maybe that was some kind of funny naivety, but I'm glad we did because at that point on we kind of, dreamed that we could and we you know we had this positive outlook even though we really didn't know what we were doing i don't think you know there's anything wrong with that i think we just you know we're young and we were open to people helping us and i think that was really cool yeah what was it like when did you get a phone call or i mean i suppose in in the 90s it must have been something along those lines to say that you'd you know not only been accepted into this competition but in fact you guys were going to win i think what happened was that it must have been our parents names on or something on the postage of what got sent so it would have have been a cassette back then and so i'm pretty sure what happened was 
we got picked up from school and dad said, oh, you've got a phone call coming at, you know, five o'clock or six o'clock. So he must have been contacted by them and was letting us have this experience of being on the phone. I can't remember how we did it with literally, you know, a handset. There's no speakerphone on our phone back then. <laughs> so I couldn't know how we both juggled that. But it was definitely a phone call and it was, you know, you know you, we, there were two winners for our area and we were one of them. For us, that was like winning, you know, we still got all the, the, the benefits of having won. Yeah, I can't really remember. I mean, I remember thinking, wow, how is everyone going to react to this? And how's what, what happens next? How do you go from recording a song and then getting airplay to touring and making albums, which is kind of, I guess, what we thought would the next step would be. But of course, there was, well, in the end, there was, you know, two or three years more of songwriting and sending demos to record companies and getting rejected and then finding a guy who loved the song that he heard on Triple J, but really realized that it needed to read, two teenagers need a lot of development and support so it, it took us a while to to get there it took so unearthed in 96 and then the the big year was end of 99 to 2000 was when the singles came out and reflected so it was still a few years to kind of get it all together mm. was that like a frustrating kind of time where you felt like you were so close to something but you didn't know how to kind of push through to that yeah. next moment well i think there were definitely moments like that throughout that period i mean i was still doing high school and and I had so we had this deal where we, you know, producing this album, you know, and what, who knows what that meant when you're 16? I had no idea. I guess it was recording, and then it comes out. You know, <laughs> there was so much more that I didn't understand. But, <laughs> but um, what it really meant day to day was that I'd go to high school, and I'd on the weekends or on weeknights sometimes I'd get the train to Melbourne, and we had the studio that we'd be accessing, and the producer and the manager would be still working on it when I wasn't there because they needed to progress it, and we'd have a few great players on it that we got to know playing on the album and then me and Ella would go down and do guitars and vocals and we'd be going up up and down from Violet Town to Melbourne and then there was moments there where we had it done probably a year or so when it was finished and they were taken around to try and get you know record deals and stuff with the album and with the songs and at that point I had this amazing album finished and I'd be like this is like the fantasy CD at this point you know how does this ever enter the, the realm of public consciousness and how does it come out and videos and all this stuff like because i had no idea how it would would work um how old were you at this point so year 12 so 18 17 18 and play it to friends and they're like this sounds like a real cd you know it sounds like a real (laughs) album and you know it was like a year's worth of work so it sounded amazing you know what you know considering it was a debut album and a lot of work had gone into it and a lot of money you know had been invested into it so it did sound really good and i think some of my friends were like yeah bit like me but what happens you know what happens when you've got a cd you know Mm. so um you know eventually you know in hindsight you look at so many things have to go right it's not enough to have a song or a great recording or a great singer you know that's all part of it but then it has to be like you know a really good strategy and a really good marketing campaign and publicity and you have to be embraced by the right people and we were so lucky that all that lined up with that first album and at the time just going through it one step at a time you know, I had no idea until that step happened. So for me, it was like, oh, wow, that's how that works. That's how that works. And look back and it's, you know, it's interesting. At the time, it just felt like one, one foot in front of the other. Yeah. What were your, I suppose, collective and personal expectations? Was it, were you kind of, I mean, you know, because it's all well and good when you're a grown up. And I mean, like someone who is, you know, has life experience. I mean, this with no offense at all. Um, but it's all well and good to kind of assess the merits of, a creative kind of endeavor and where it may end up when you have the kind of you know gift of experience but when you're you know when you're quite young and you're still impressionable you're still figuring out how the world works and um you know what this crazy thing is you kind of i mean my experience was that i was always kind of naive and just had these kind of lofty expectations of, of how things would go for me what was it like for you, again, collectively or, and also personally, when you finally had this kind of tangible thing and no doubt, you know, the people who were behind creating it were, you know, pumping you up mm. um, with, you know, what could be? Yeah, look, I think it was a bit of both. There's a bit of like, oh, my God, this really sounds like it could be something that we can be, you know, for years or whatever, not really knowing what touring life would look like. But also this fear of, I think this could be it. You know, it could all just fall over and then we'll just produce this amazing music, but maybe there's nothing else. I don't know. Um, but 
I don't think we really had much like career ambition per se either. Like we just went, we really wanted to perform and tour because all our favorite bands would be touring bands. You know, like it always seemed like the, the coolest bands that we, you know, that we loved were playing at these big festivals. So for us, it was like success was getting to play and develop this thing beyond a CD into a, mm. into a band identity, which is, I guess comes back to that thing about talking about, you know, having your own gang and letting that be cool and wanting to be cool as a teenager and wanting to probably, you know, success would be, getting more Triple J airplay because that was the coolest you know, thing we could we could hope for. And um, I guess there was probably like, wow, could this be a job? But at that point, we were only teenagers and we never had to pay. You know, we're still living at home. You know, we didn't really have any financial requirements other than, you know, money to buy pizza. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it wasn't like a real like, oh, I can't wait. If this ends money, money didn't really come into it uh, at that point. It was all much more about, could this actually, could we actually play shows? How cool would that be? Mm. <laughs> Finally get to big day out. Yeah, yeah, which we did. I mean, that, and that, that, you know, in 2000 and 2001, we played... The first year we did it, we just did Melbourne and Sydney and we were late editions and it went bananas on a side stage and it went, got quite dangerous because it was so many people trying to get in and the next year we were on the main stage and, yeah, it's weird. Like, I really wish I was a bit more present for, the, for that <laughs> tour because I feel like it's just a bit of a blur and, uh, I mean, it's always busy and there's partying at night and stuff, but... I really can't remember much of the actual being on stage and performing. Like I'm pretty sure I would have been pretty nervous and combined with excited and adrenaline. I really can't remember much. I see videos and I'm like, man, it looks awesome. <laughs> I can't remember any of it. I guess you just get so swept up in it all and you're so kind of uh, caught in, um, you know, just, I say get through it. I don't mean like it's a chore, but it's like there's probably... There's, I imagine would be so much pressure on you to get it right to put on a good show that you're kind of not present like you say I think for me because we were really lucky we had a bit more experienced rhythm section the drummer and the bass player had been in lots of other bands and they had toured with you know big bands and Ella I think was probably I don't know maybe not I'm just guessing but you know she was singing the whole time she's I mean she's you know she's entertaining she's jumping around I, I watched the videos back then it looks like she's fully engaged and I think for me I'm probably just a bit terrified don't fuck it up you know and I'm the only guitarist so it's pretty obvious you know there's no other harmonic instrument there's we don't have a keyboard player or other chord player it's just me and so when I remember my playing at those big events it's always like pretty concentrated and I look like I'm jumping around but when I think back I was probably just like gotta get it right you know yeah yeah (laughs) so when you know, uh, Weir and Mascara, when these songs start really taking off, what what is the kind of feeling for you? Look, again, I, I wish I ref- could remember a little bit more personally about how I was feeling at that time. I remember feeling really excited. I mean, it really was just like, this is going off. Like it's on every radio station and we could flick between radio stations in the car and you'd hear this more than one song on, on the bandwidth. I mean, that was insane. Mm. And people would recognize us and people would say, I love your band. And, you know, then at that point, like having a number one and these chart things just reaffirm this sort of success. And I remember just going, well, this is crazy. This is, this is actually a phenomenon. We're living in a weird (laughs) phenomenon. We had like the fastest selling album in history at that time. It was basically all our songs were getting flogged on the radio. And it was like, all of a sudden that happened. It was like, we were there. It was like, wow, that moment with looking at the CD, how did that get to here? It really did seem crazy. I think because we were busy and we were touring and and um, doing lots of promo, it felt like we were always doing stuff too. So I think that was probably good in some ways. It just felt like we were always, you know, doing something. How do you manage to stay grounded in, or do you stay grounded? Well, at that time, I think there were probably times where we didn't. And I think being from the country and having your siblings, my sibling in the band, probably would have helped a lot. Uh, and we still go back to the country and see our family a lot. I think that definitely helped. But um, I, I look back now and I, you know, I see things that we were doing, like whether it's wearing something crazy and I'm thinking, that doesn't look grounded to me. <laughs> it probably just felt like it was a theatrical at the time. But it's funny when I think, you know, it really was this evolving fantasy, you know, of wanting to be in this band and then being in this band and then trying to just maintain it and be creative and feel like you're making good music and, and enjoying yourself. And, you know, it really just was that... Cool. Let's just do this. Let's just do this. Let's just do this. And that's something that 
that I really appreciate now looking back going wow that was just almost like you just created your own five years where you really just did whatever you wanted to to, to some degree what were some of the I suppose more challenging moments in that period of time well, at the time I reckon it was like perhaps when it you know when, when it morphs from pure fun into business and and then other people's vested interests coming into it which I think we were very lucky to have a supportive management team that you know invested in and helped us develop but then all of a sudden you realize that hey there is actually a lot of people were working around this band so I think that was an adjustment you know and challenging perhaps at times where you realize that you know yes you're still young people having this great sort of fancy band musical experience and then all of a sudden there's a whole lot of business sort of uh, parts to it yeah yeah but I thought we dealt with that okay as young people yeah how do you kind of reconcile that I think we always just had the best intentions you know with with whatever we did whether that was you know deciding to do something or not I think we probably wouldn't look at it from a real businessy angle perhaps when we should have and perhaps the other way when we should have looked at something from a more artistic level we might have looked at it from a more of a strategic business kind of thing I think coming from a musical back or musical focus you don't really think about band strategy and I think that that's something that you know the manager's job is to do and it's something that I think me and Ella really grew to be wanting to be involved in more and more as we went along and at first it was just this oh my god what are we doing tomorrow cool you know that looks cool who booked that I don't know let's just do it you know yeah. to, to actually wanting to be involved in well what what are, what have we been asked to do you know we've been asked to perform here and here and um you know, I think in hindsight, I would probably, if I was telling my younger self, is to, you know, be more engaged with that earlier, I think, and be more empowered. But, you know, I wasn't a really, um, I wasn't motivated by that at the start. Like I said, I think it was more just so much fun. Everything was just an experience. And even if you did something, you thought, oh, that wasn't very good. It was, it was never like, we shouldn't have fucking done that. You know, like, who, who asked us to do that? It was always like, oh, man, you know, <laughs> that was shit. <laughs> <laughs> When you're writing music, uh, you know, at any period in your life, uh, I mean, when you're writing anything, um, you know, you're always, from my point of view, writing from your own experience. How kind of consciously were you writing, if I can use that kind of term, and how much of it do you think was instinctive in the beginning, kind of through to, or even now? Yeah, well, I think for me, I always sort of write the music part generally first and Ella would take it and write melodies and lyrics to it and occasionally she'd come up with a chord progression that we'd expand upon. So it was pretty much all instinctive based on stuff that we would sit there and jam and then until we had something that made us feel something excited and then we'd just develop it. Having you know been teaching songwriting now for a few years and much more analytically and looking at techniques... I think it's um it's nice to have a bit of both. I think you need that just that creative idea, inspiration, and then having some craft to be able to to make it great. I think is the is the idea. I think back then we probably the craft was only just through um, trial and error. Like we really didn't have any formal music training really, uh, and so it was all about pop form, catchiness, chord progressions, and kind of just do we like it or do we not like it. That was our kind of gauge, and then very lucky working with great producers who would then enhance the idea make it sound better and really hone in on what they thought was you know the singles or strong material and then us having faith in those people and kind of a collaborative process around um, coming to something that we felt like was the right idea for both a artistic expression and probably you know do we have songs that's going to mean we can play more shows there was that business element to it as well
band in the country and you know touring internationally as well you have one of your songs in spider-man i mean what was that what was that kind of moment like for you as well <laughs> well there's been a few things like that over the years where the record company say oh so you, we want you to use your song to promote the spider-man movie and it was like cool you know like there you go that, that's another one of those things that you think is a complete fancy and then you know, as a young person oh you watch tv and you see movies and how does your music get on there and it really is just you know, people having involvement in your projects at a certain scale. The other one that was funny was actually after Killing Heidi, we did this other project called The Verses and we made this kind of Fleetwood Mac sounding EP and we were going to, we soon to make the album and we were with Warners and Fleetwood Mac came out and they're a Warners band and basically like, oh, do you want to open for Fleetwood Mac? And it was like, (laughs) yes. Are you kidding me? Like that couldn't have been more perfect. Like it was like the planets aligned and it didn't end up being a huge success for us by any means but it was kind of like this weird thing of we just made something that was like a little homage you know almost to Fleetwood Mac and then all of a sudden we get to play with them and that was like wow that's cool it doesn't always line up like that and I'm sure you know, most of my friends who were like how the hell did you get that like I mean how lucky are you and it's like oh you know we had to we just happened to be with Warners and so were they yeah and we happened to make something that sounded kind of like them and I think they got sent a few things to choose from from local supports and they picked ours so yeah, stuff like that does happen and you know, I can't take personal responsibility for it. It was just great to experience. One of those, uh, as you say, I guess stars aligning kind of moments. Yeah. What was it like, uh, I suppose, coming out of the success of Reflector because you did have that kind of adrenaline-fueled like instant success I read in an interview where you spoke about the idea of trying to reclaim that or, or uh, achieve that level of success again and not being able to kind of reach those heights uh, in that period. So what was that kind of, what was that discussion like? What was that moment like? It's funny because we'd only ever experienced this kind of what seemed to be ever escalating success to some degree, although the first two singles were by far the most popular and the second two off that album. But that whole period was just kind of, it was really, we could, you know, it felt like it was at the peak of the success you could have here anyway in Australia. So there was this, I don't know, probably just a naive expectation that, okay, that's how it always is. You just get bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> so, you know, to have something come out and the next singles had lots of airplay. So that was like, ah, oh, cool. You know, that's great. You know, still get to flick the radio across and they're playing these songs. But that's when I guess we're probably becoming a bit more business savvy and wanting to be involved. And then 
there is these discussions around, okay, so you've spent this much to make this album and then you've sold, you know, this much. And so it does, it's losing money, for example. And for us, it was like, oh, okay, gee, I guess that's reality, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Where the fuck did you come from? Um, but, but we still have lots of touring opportunities. So it didn't seem like it was that much of a whack, to be honest. But I think for our expanded fa- business family, obviously it was because, you know, there was this very lucrative um, side to Killing Heidi, which was record sales, uh, a part of touring you know, as well as touring and stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, that is not making money. And there's a whole bunch of people who are, you know, that's their livelihood. So that definitely had an impact. But um, for me and Ella... I guess at that point, Reflector was an album made by teenagers in a remote area, written anyway, and then made with collaboration without having been exposed to the industry. And then the second album is, okay, yes, we've seen it from the top to bottom of the music industry. We've done every interview you can do. We've done every media thing you can do in the country and abroad, and we've had huge success. So for us, there probably was an expectation that, you know, this is going to be well-received. And I don't know, I look back on that second album now, and I think, hmm... You know, the process, the creative process of writing and pre-production recording was really long, quite self-indulgent for not just us, but the people who are producing it. And I don't think the songs needed, I think the songwriting needed to evolve as well. And I don't think we had let that happen for some reason. I think it just sort of felt like, let's just keep doing what we're doing and it'll just get, it'll just, keep, just be loved again, you know? And I think it really needed a bit more time to, ah, what are we, who are we? And, you know, what are we trying to do here? And all that kind of, a bit of a reset creatively. I don't think that really happened until the verses in 2008, really. So five or six, nine years later or something. So coming out of Killing Heidi, I mean, what was was the decision to put the band on indefinite hiatus? Was that a difficult decision or did it just kind of feel like that was the right move for that moment? I think Ella and I had probably spoken about it and... You know, we just felt like we'd had so much fun, but it had been quite exhausting, you know, as just this kind of, it wasn't always like we were on the road, but it was this the lifestyle and the identity of who we were as young people was this, these guys in this band. And we were keen to explore something outside of that context. I think what happened was we had shows booked and we kind of just said, okay, that one, that's the last one we've got booked, no more after that. And it was really no big decision other than we want some time to think about what we're going to do. But when it drew closer and then, okay, there's no more being booked, why is that? Discussions around... What do you want to do? All that kind of thing. Me and Ella had thought, ah, oh, we want to do something a bit more country, kind of folky kind of stuff. But there was no, I don't know, at the time it didn't feel like we were putting a big full stop on it. It just felt like, oh, we just need a break from that. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a long break. So I guess to kind of move through, you know, the preceding 11 years, uh, you know, you you did you mentioned a few times the verses, um, and then you did work with Artful Dodger and here at Coll Arts. You know, it seems to me that you have this amazing kind of breadth of experience, I guess, on a philosophical level of uh, different levels and different degrees of success. So I guess I'm I'm interested to know what your kind of current definition of success is. Well, it's a good question. And I think, you know, it's something I've been thinking about a lot even in the last week or so, just because I feel like my life is very, very busy at the moment. So I'm doing my master's on the weekend as part of my teaching career, you know, here at Collarts is getting more formal qualifications, working full time, which I love my job here, working with young people, working with some of the best musicians in the country as, you know, teachers and colleagues and students, obviously, great students. And um, and then now Killing Heidi, and I'm just like, okay, <laughs> Is this making me happy? Like, is this successful? I mean, I love it all. I don't want to give anything up. And Killing Heidi, like, I'm really enjoying it because we haven't done it for a long time. Yeah, it's really, I think that is part of the appeal. Me and Ella are really kind of getting off on it because, you know, because we haven't done it. You know, if we'd been doing it, even just one or two things a year probably wouldn't have this kind of excitement for, for us personally. So for success at the moment for me, I think is probably how I'm feeling about where I'm at. And I feel like at the moment, I feel like, I've, whoa, everything seems to be going really well. So that's that's making me feel great. And for me, that's success. I mean, I think there is still that thing of, what you know, if a show sells out, sells out that's success, mm. you know. But I think now that my whole expectation of, you know, job and career isn't on Killing Heidi, it's much more like, okay, cool, we're going to do this again. 
we're, we're talking about our music we're talking about our experiences and people are really connecting to that so that's that for me feels like success too and i think that's a big part of what ella may, may talk about you know when she talks about her experience of coming back to this is that she's reclaiming this kind of really positive attitude and that's success for sure because i think not having done it for a long time you look back at all the really good fun times and some of the stuff that you perhaps regret and you go how much did i love that because i can't remember all of it like i said before i remember bits and pieces and some things i remember really clearly and some things i bit of a blur so for me it's about wow i'm feeling really good about this so i think that's success yeah for at the moment but i don't know you could have asked me last year and i could be like being able to write another song that i feel like is going to launch an artist like that for me that was a big goal for the last few years and is something i still want to do is collaborate with a young artist and help them have a success that i think would make me feel like that's succeeding from a songwriting perspective but at the moment <laughs> it's a bit busy <laughs> <laughs> I'll come back to that at some point. All right, we'll reconvene yeah. <laughs> later on down the line. I think it is an evolving kind of, and I mean that's something that I discuss a lot on this uh, on this podcast. Is you know that you know you can have all the money and all the fame and all the whatever, but is it really fulfilling? And if it's not, then is that really success? Yeah, and look, that's something that I've heard before. Is you know, no matter how much you make or whatever you accumulate, it doesn't really kind of satisfy you. And I think I've definitely experienced that with um over the years when like when we got a new guitar for example and you think oh when i get that guitar that's that's i'm gonna be happy you know that's i'll never want another guitar again <laughs> it never happens you know you just go that's awesome and then i want that one now and so yeah the material aspect of it yeah it's a funny one like i think i've had parts of my career where i've been very focused on pursuing opportunities for profile or income and i think you've got to do that to some extent but Look, I do feel like I'd love to be involved in a collaboration that really had a real kudos around the songwriting. I think that's something I really still would find successful and make me excited. But, uh, you know, the feedback that I get in my work here at Collats is something that I feel really proud of as well. I feel that that kind of is a personal success, you know, being able to find other ways to, like I said, put my experience in something that is productive and in a different context. So I really find that rewarding. I guess that's, yeah, success, yeah. What sort of uh, advice do you give to some of the young, your younger students about um, how to pursue a, a career and a life in in, uh, in music? Look, it varies student to student because so we have so many different students with different goals and abilities. But very broadly, I would say, you know, attitude and work ethic really beyond talent. You know, and applying yourself. I think me and Ella just through being really personable and being positive and being hardworking, have achieved all the things we've achieved. I mean, Ella having a great voice helps. Yeah. Having some great songs, where they came from, I don't know. We just wrote them, you know, there was no secret to it. They're all four chords, very simple songs. So for me, it's about, you know, having a great attitude and encouraging people that it's about networking and being really, really um, positive with people because the people that you're positive one day may give you some opportunities the next and you're working with them and having a great time. I think one thing I've heard Alice say is really she's a big one for you know emphasizing your unique aspect that's one thing she definitely encourages young people to to try and bear in mind rather than trying to you know fit into the genre that's popular is to really try and explore your your niche mm. <laughs> yeah which I think is great advice too for me it's it's about you know do I want to work with somebody and in my role here or in Killing Heidi or in my businesses I've always had it's about Yes, there's plenty of people who can do it, but then who do you actually want to hang out with? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and be in the same room with. And so that's most of the time what gets someone over the line. Not always, but most of the time. Well, Jesse, thank you so much and good luck with the, uh, with the reunion tour. It's been really fun. Like, you know, we've done quite a few shows this year to warm up for the tour. And like I said, it does feel exciting. It does feel like we're revisiting a cool part of your youth but you're actually an adult now and you're like you know what I can do what I want with this <laughs> whereas maybe when you're young you're like oh this is cool but I guess I'm am I the boss you know what I mean even though you know you're the artist and you are I think now we're like we really are and we're doing it on our own terms and we really love the people that we work with and it feels like it's um a celebration and it feels like it's um you know seeing other people get into it as much that's been the other thing it's just like seeing people who go singing words to songs you know and going well this this has its whole life of its own with other people like you know my experience with the songs and my experience with performing them is you know awesome but then there's other people who listen to that album all the time and 
there's this whole other world of connection that to the music which and that's that's definitely success for me is you know realizing that your music has lived on in other capacities that you had never knew existed yeah it's yeah. kind of trippy <laughs> thanks for having me man no it's a pleasure i uh, i end every conversation with one question which is what makes you silly feel silly or like giggle what do you what do you mean it's open to interpretation ah uh, look it's, so I, I just just I don't know, just funny funny shit I don't know I, I lighthearted positive attitudes I think you know I just, if things get too heavy I, I I find it I always laugh that's the thing when something gets really kind of stressful or even a bit dark I laugh and some people don't take it the right way but I just feel like we take things much too seriously in this reality <laughs> <laughs> it's better just to kind of giggle yeah earnestness is a little bit boring yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. No worries, man. Thank you. It was fun. Kettles pouring in the other room. Didn't know the love would answer so. I'm not clear, I cleaned it. That's the message going to my head. Cause I'm too young to die. Okay. This song is called Real People. And it's about real people. It's for real people. <laughs> <laughs>